good morning. Um, my name is Ben Burnside. I'm happy to be with you here. Uh, whenever you get asked to preach the Sunday after Christmas, you never know uh, who is going to show up. So thank you all for coming uh, on this New Year's Eve. Now, I know that we just celebrated Christmas. We just had um, a lot of family and celebrations. Some of you traveled. We have New Year's Eve parties to go to tonight. So I've, I know that there are different kinds of people in the world. I know that there are people who... Uh, the day after Christmas, have everything packed away because they're tired of looking at all their decorations and have a totally clean house. Anyone have that kind of personality? No, just my mother. Oh, a couple other people. Okay, I thought it'd be more because the first service only had one couple as well. Okay. And then there are the rest of us who, whose mentality is eventually, right? Hopefully no one makes it to February with Christmas still up. But... I have words of comfort for you if you feel guilty about it. Uh, in, the, in the Christian tradition, the official church calendar since the late 300s, Christmas has been a 12-day celebration. Now, we don't celebrate it for 12 days anymore, unfortunately, but from December 25th to January 6th is officially the 12 days of Christmas. So today is the seventh day of Christmas, and we can still say Merry Christmas. Um, but today is that time, so if you still, if you have until January 6th, while well, it's still Christmas, just to make you feel a little better. Um, but today we are celebrating what is known as Epiphany Sunday. Officially, that's January 6th, the last day of Sunday, but next week we have Baptism of the Lord, so we celebrate Epiphany today. And as you can tell, if you've been here uh, through Advent, you know that the wise men were going throughout the sanctuary to symbolize their journey. They have now joined uh, the, the scene here, the nativity scene. And as our choir just sang, uh, we are talking a little bit about the wise men joining the uh, bedside of Christ. Now, what is known about these wise men? They're referred to in the scripture as magi, sometimes translated kings. Uh, we don't know too much about them from Scripture. There's a lot of tradition that says there are three of them that gives them some names and some ideas of who they are. But if we just stick to what we find in Scripture, and we'll read a few verses here in a moment, we don't know too much about them. What we do know and can say is that they're most likely from the east, from Persia, somewhere around there. They were philosophers, astrologers, scientists, wise people, uh, of the Zoroastrian faith who kind of were focusing on the stars and knew them better than anyone else. And they saw the star in the east and they realized that this star was something um, unnatural, something new, uh, a miracle that had appeared in the sky and they chose to follow it. And so today we're reading from Matthew 2, uh, starting in verse 10. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another, word, or another road. Here we get an image of these men who had traversed long distances just because they saw a star in the sky. 
They knew that something was happening. They did not know what. They were not of the Jewish faith. They did not understand that they were going to see the Messiah. They simply saw a new mysterious star and chose to pursue it. We call today Epiphany Sunday because we are recognizing that during the Christmas season, during this time in which Christ was born to us, it is an epiphany in the sense of new information, a revelation of a mystery. When Paul writes about the gospel in Ephesians, he says, a mystery has been revealed to me by revelation. When the wise men came to the the bedside of Christ, whether it was that very night or a little later, they encountered a mystery there and found a child, a child who was going to be the king of the Jews and discovered through this uh, willingness to follow this strange star, uh, a child who was fulfilling prophecy. And the same with Paul Though he persecuted the followers of the Christian faith and did not understand what they were proclaiming through his own encounter with Christ, he rested there in this mystery and the Holy Spirit revealed to him the truth. On Christmas, we we have read through the story of Mary and Joseph not finding room in the inn and having the child in a manger surrounded by animals. It's a warm story. It's a very detailed story that we love to read. And no doubt you read it with your family or had it here, heard it here on Christmas Eve. And the story is something that points us towards that kind of uh, emotion of the night. We sing Silent Night. We think of these peaceful emotions and the beginning of the story of the gospel. Um, But today I just wanted to talk about this action that happens behind the scenes, right? We know the story, what is going on with Christmas. And Christmas is the celebration of the fact that Jesus chose to take on flesh, that the Son of God chose to become human. Now, this is a moment of Christ's life that we call the incarnation. And the incarnation literally means the taking on of flesh, becoming human. Um, And in the early church, the incarnation, this idea that Christ takes on flesh, stands alongside the crucifixion and the resurrection as part of uh, the salvation story. In the early church, they treated it as something that was salvific in itself. And what that means is that the beginning of the story of God choosing to become human is the beginning, is not just the beginning of a story that ends with uh, the cross and resurrection, but it's the beginning, very starting at the very beginning in salvation, um, in the incarnation. That the story from the beginning to the end is all part of how we are saved. And so focusing on this action of the God of the universe choosing to become human. I wanted to share some scripture from Philippians 2, uh, starting in verse 5. And Paul says this, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, 
who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness. And being found in appearance as human, he humbled himself, and he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, there are many mysteries of our faith, things that are kind of beyond our ability to truly understand. And we can read the truth of what the incarnation is. We can read the story and we know the truth because it's been revealed to us uh, in scripture. Um, but to really get our minds around it, what does it mean for the God of the universe, for the creator of all of us and all of creation to become one of us? to take on the limitations. We know what it means to be limited as humans, to be subject to things like death and fear and pain. These are things that the Son of God willingly chose to do. And it's really beyond our kind of comprehension. Another of those is the Trinity. We know the Trinity means that there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one God. And that's something we can say, that's something we know to be true has been said for thousands of years, but it's kind of beyond our rational capability to really fully understand what exactly that means. But what we do know uh, and encounter here in scripture is that God chose to take on all the limitations of his own creation to become us, not as an appearance, not just coming to the earth and appearing to tell us something, but to truly become human. And Paul says, that this is an example of, of God, of Christ humbling himself. When Paul is describing this, he could have chosen any word or any ethical category, any kind of emotion to describe this, whether that is love or faith or hope. But instead, the word the scripture has here is humbled, that God humbled himself. Now, when we say the word humility, when we say the word humble, usually it means something like a person doesn't boast of their own accomplishments too much, or they have a quieter nature. It can even be something like they are modest, like a humble person has good manners. Uh, we think of that as a humility, as a grace. But it means something a little bit more here in the scripture because we are talking about Christ. We are talking about God. What does it mean for God to be humble, for God to submit himself, for God to be obedient? Uh, we would think that the king of all is the one person who does not have to be humble, right? The king of all is the one person who doesn't have to be obedient to anyone. But we are told that Christ came among us to show us humility, to show us what it means to be humble, but because he himself was humble. Now that is something to truly wonder about. Humility is something that we are given and shown through Christ choosing to take on flesh. Now, in our own lives, uh, we recognize that sin has a power of turning us away from God. That's all sin is. It just means that we do something that's apart from God. We choose to follow our own will. We choose to follow our own way of thinking. And ultimately, that is the, the original sin of pride. In Adam and Eve, we encounter 
two people who choose to follow their own will and to make of their own, to pursue their own path apart from God is a pridefulness, is living in an illusion that we do not need God. And Christ recognized it by, by uh, looking upon us that there was no way for us to truly walk away from pride. There was no way for us truly to be broken from our sinfulness without him choosing to come among us. And so we refer to Christ by coming among us. He shows us what humility is like by living a humble life here on this earth. But also he unites the divine nature with the human nature and provides from us a medicine, a restorative to our pridefulness, to our sinfulness, that we know as the very humility of Christ. His willingness to be low, his willingness to be obedient, his willingness to be a servant is what enables us to do the same. Now, we can be humbled, right? There are ways in which we can recognize that we are not in control. Um, we experience all kinds of, of things in our lives that, that make us feel as though we don't have control. Now, those can be serious things like going through um, trying times or encountering uh, disasters in our personal lives and the world. And a mundane one is, uh, but a great example, is travel. Now, many of us have been traveling this, this break. And you can encounter when you travel a complete recognizing that it doesn't matter who you are or what you're doing, there are elements that are controlling your life and you, are just, you just have to in, endure them. Um, my wife and I traveled to uh, England a couple years ago and we got there for an international flight. We got there, I think, four hours early. But, <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, but uh, we, we got on the parking spot bus and we didn't know that there was construction at George Bush. I'm sure all of us know by now that there is construction at George Bush. But we sat in this bus for an hour and a half, and my anxiety level is just going up and up and up. And uh, then we have to get to, to the line to check in for the airport because it's during COVID, and you have to have your papers checked. And of course, this line also took an hour and a half. So by the time we are up to check into our flight, we're in that little zone where they're like, well, we might not let you go back because you're not going to make it through security. And so I'm beyond words. My wife is on the verge of tears, and they're trying to tell us we can't get on this flight. And it's just like, well, it's not our fault. The bus did this, this line did this, and all these kinds of things. Now, we, eventually, we did make it on the flight, but it was very close, and I will never trust a bus or anything ever again. Um, <laughs> Now, that's not how God humbles us, but it is a recognition that we are not fully in control of our situations, but God does not humble us by sending, by making a, a bus late or a plane or anything similar to that. God humbles us through a gift, and the gift that he gives us is the gift of humility, the gift that we see Jesus coming. The king of the universe comes he does not come as a king in power. He comes as an infant. He starts at the very beginning in the most humble way possible. He comes and he does not reign as we would imagine a king with all the power in the world would reign. He reigns on his knees, washing the feet of his disciples. 
He spends time with the rejected, the poor, the broken, the people of society that no one of the religious elite had time for. He tells us to live opposite the way the world tells us to live, for humility is usually opposite logic of those in power. And he says by doing this, we are doing the very will of God. We are living as part of the kingdom of God. Jesus tells a story in the Gospels. He says there were two people who came to the altar to pray. One came with pride, and he lifted his eyes up to the heavens and said, Oh God, thank you for not making me like all of these sinners. I am able to do all the right things. You have made it so I am able to offer all the right amounts of money and say all the right things. Thank you for making me better than the rest of these. And another man came to the altar and was on his knees and would not raise his eyes up at all. He was ashamed. He was a Gentile. And he said, Lord, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. Now, Jesus says there was a prideful one and one that showed humility. Who, who is the one who came to God in the proper way? Humility reminds us that it's not about the right actions alone. Rather, it is about the heart behind them. And so as we come to this point of the middle of Christmas, approaching the end of this season, as we are here on New Year's Eve, uh, it's a time in which we gather with family and friends. It's a time in which we focus on new beginnings. Some of us make New Year's resolutions. But we focus on this spirit that we, care, that we carry together of love and concern for one another. And it's just a very meaningful time. And so I will add to that that as we encounter this time of Christmas, it means all of those things. It means all the things that we love about Christmas. But it's also a reminder that the God of the universe, the most powerful being in all creation, chose to humble himself, to take on a lowly status so that we might know what it means to live with fulfillment, that we might know what it lives to be and to be part of the kingdom of God. And so what does that mean for us? How do we live a humble life in this world? Um, humility is a recognition it's a mirror in which we can see ourselves as we truly are not as we imagine ourselves to be or design ourselves to be our own master but to see ourselves in light of God's existence and sometimes that means that we fall short of what we are called to do so one of the ways to live in humility is as we do gather when we do communion we say a confession of sin a life of humility means opening and being honest with God in the ways in which we fall short. Not to make us feel guilty, but to show us that God is there to help us, to make us better, that the Holy Spirit was always there, and that we can do good through Him. That all that is able and available to us are gifts. And it merely starts with the recognition that we are in need of God. Another way we show our dependence on God is through prayer. There is no bigger um, evidence to us that we are in need of God's grace, God's gift, and God's providence than by a recognition that we are called to be 
in conversation with God on a daily basis. And that regardless of what decision we are making or uh, experience we are going through, it is better to do it in the presence of God in prayer. And also, simply, that in a time in which we, and the society around us, is emphasizing our own ambitions, our own future, the whatever we desire to pursue that, we are called to replace our purpose with the purpose that God has given to us. A purpose to live as part of the kingdom of God, to follow in the footsteps of the humble Christ, to live as he lived, to love as he loved, to be challenged as he was challenged. But we do not do that alone because at this time we recognize Emmanuel, God with us. God did not leave us alone. He sent his son to take on human flesh and even when he ascended into the heavens, he still did not leave us alone, for we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if we want to be challenged to live a humble life, as Christ did, we know that we do that through the gifting and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit with us each and every day. So we are called to rejoice. Rejoice that God has come to this earth and entered into death that we may know life. He has given us the medicine of humility to counter the dangerous effects of pride in our own lives and has provided us the means to join together as the people of God. Let us pray. Holy God, we give you thanks for the gift of your son coming as a small child the gift of the Holy Spirit that walks beside us in all that we do. We recognize that you, when it was not necessary or deserving, showed us humility, showed us what humility looked like and came among us, that we might be saved, that we might know new life. Help us to live as your humble servants that in that we might find freedom, in that we might discover love, and in that we might become your church. Be with us as we begin this new year. Help us to rediscover your love. Help us to live this year um, humble before you. And we pray all this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.